0: Are you here? Well, of course you're here. You? (laughs) Well, you're you. And here is the Paul Leslie Hour. Hey, in this episode, we're going to play you the Money Mark interview, which we're bringing out of our radio archives. Money Mark, born Mark Ramos Nishita, he's a producer, a recording artist, a songwriter, and a keyboardist. At the time of this interview, Monty Mark's recent album was Brand New by Tomorrow on Brushfire Records. He took a few minutes to talk to your host, Paul Edward Leslie, just moments before getting on stage to perform with the Beastie Boys. You'll probably listen to this interview with Monty Mark and get the impression he's quite a fascinating guy. And that's not a shocking thought. How many people do you meet named money mark. Paul's been talking to fascinating people for, well, 20 years. He's got a wealth of these interviews all available for free on YouTube. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, Paul Leslie, and ring that bell. Ding, ding. And oh yeah, won't you please like the Paul Leslie Hour on Facebook? We'd love that. And now, what do you say we hear what Money Mark has to say? Let's do that. It is with great pleasure
1: that we welcome our special guest, Money Mark. So first of all, thank you so much for making the time to to do an interview with us today.
2: Right on. It's my pleasure, man. I'm in in, uh, beautiful downtown Baltimore, Maryland, getting ready to jump on stage with the Beastie Boys. And I got a few moments to talk.
1: So I was hoping you could tell us, just to kind of go back to the beginning, what kind of music do you remember listening to growing up?
2: Both of my parents were really into music, and my mom was, she liked Shang, a little bit of jazz. And she grew up in Texas and she shang. Basically, the whole family were musicians. They were on the porch singing, you know, as part of their culture. On the weekends, So they were singing mostly, like, Spanish-language, uh, in polkas and corridos and this kind of thing, you know. I uh, maybe that kind of turned into uh, like tejano music, and then then because of the whole jazz thing, I was listening to you know all the greats back in the day, and then, then I gravitated toward like uh Jimmy Smith, uh Peterson, and so I was I like, was like liking the keyboards of some, but it wasn't just that. Was, I was I I listened to all kinds of music too. Like what was on the radio was really good at that time, so I li- like listening to the basic classic rock kind of people, Hendrix and the Beatles and all that stuff. The jazz thing was kind of the thing where I had more like an exclusive listening kind of life, and then everything else was like listening to what was on the radio, TV.
1: So I was hoping you could tell us what, what part of the country did you grow up in.
2: I was born in Detroit, Michigan, before I was a teenager and moved to Los Angeles. At that moment, you know, I already had been totally, totally influenced by all that Motown stuff and all that early rock, Detroit rock stuff, and jazz, and I didn't know it, but I had a rich kind of listening experience, but I didn't realize it until later.
1: Do you remember a particular moment in your life when you realized, I'm going to be a musician and that's all there is to it?
2: Oh, that really hasn't happened yet. (laughs) I think it might happen soon, though. As long as people keep asking me about it, then maybe it's going to happen. But I haven't quite figured it out yet because I really feel like working in my wood stuff And I like fixing cars and doing electronic stuff. I don't know. I like tinkering around with stuff. But I guess the music thing's been paying the bills. I mean, for for the most part, it's been paying my bills. It, well, actually, it has been paying my bills. And, and then so. Some. So sometimes when I, like, the Bichy boys were asking me to go on this tour, like, I was kind of thinking, like, oh, it sucks, man. I have to go on a tour, you know. I have to, like, put down my 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 tools there to get rusty in the garage or something. But I'm kind of starting to resign to it. Hmm. I'm getting to be an old man. I guess I should start calling myself a musician.
1: (laughs) I don't think anybody's answered that question in the way that you just did. So that's a good thing. Okay. I was hoping you could tell us about some of the artists that you've worked with. Is there one that, that you're especially proud of? I mean, it's a very impressive list. You know, the Beastie Boys who you're playing with right now, Yoko Ono, Beck. Is there one that sticks out in your mind that you're especially proud of?
2: Well, they all have something special going, you know. I the collaborations I do always really kind of just happened with something natural, like some kind of math, magnetic, mutual kind of feeling, you know. So I have memories of like many, many memories of all the these amazing. Every time I collaborate, you know, I actually kept a little journal, and like all of them were special. So I couldn't really single them out. I would, you know. Working with Yoko Yoko oh no was kind of kind of cool. I learned stuff I learned stuff from everybody, so in that case uh, it's hard for me to say this or that, but I had amazing experiences outside of music, and then to me you know, those were the things that really besides the music itself and being in a studio and, and collaborating as a as a working thing, you know, working with people, you know outside of that. But there are, there's people that I never like worked with, but I associate with them. I talked with them. I spent like a couple of days with, and I never really maybe recorded with them, but like some important musicians, I just would talk with them about music and those were valuable too. There were, those were as enriching. Then there's like some collaborations where, where tapes were made, but those tapes never came out. There was like these seconds that I don't know where even where the tapes are or what whatever happened. After a lollapalooza uh, in, I think it was Pine Cove in 1994. That's uh, near Detroit. There, I I uh, we had some days off, and I went to United the United Studios with George Clinton and the whole gang, and I hung out there for a couple of days and recorded a bunch of stuff with Gary Skyder and. George and what um, and App Fiddler and the many names I don't even know the names. Should it Burns world keyboard Bernie wasn't there. I don't know Bernie wasn't really in the picture at that moment. And then there's some late night jam sessions with Ben Montpench and I uh, missed a jam session with John Paul Jones was was there and I know you know there's no tape recorder going on. I mean even the jam sessions with Yoko. There were chased, but I don't even know where those tapes are. I think they have yet to come out. And then countless times with the Beastie Boys, and I just played with Flea. I just finished it in, in L.A. for raising money for school. And I mean, it, just, it goes on and on and on. Like every week I'm doing something really cool.
1: Wow, amazing. I was hoping you could tell us about one of your songs that's on your album brand new by tomorrow. It's called Pick Up the Pieces.
2: Yeah, that's a. Those are two greats on that album. Really, truly amazing people. Totally open and totally have the most amazing stories. Maybe even face the Grim Reaper directly. You know, like Jim Keltner, one of the greatest drummers ever. Just to sit in the room and talk to the guy was uh, just amazing. And same with Carol Terry, Carol Kaye can tell you stories that'll just cut right through you. Then you have their musical sense and their performance, like, it's really an honor to be able to be in a situation position here. I mean, people like that have to like your song first, so, (laughs) it's, yeah, I was like, I'm not going to call them if if I don't think they're going to like the song, so. We got Carol, actually they couldn't both come at the same time, so we had Jim come out, and those two, in particular, to me, I, I've worked with Jim a few times and Carol a couple times. In one or two takes, they've got it. I think Carol's take was one take. He mapped out the song. he listened to it and mapped it on paper, and she just nailed it in one take. And Jim nailed it in a couple takes. So I don't know. What can you say? Yeah, I got those two great. And I think Carol just made the song happen. The chords and the melody were uh, Jack Johnson and I were in Santa Barbara at his home one night. And we wrote this song together and then Jack put played a little bit of guitar on it just for the demo. I don't know if we ended up using any guitar, I don't think so. But I called Jim and Carol and Carol nailed the bass line how it how the how both notes go against the melody it was like really perfect. I mean she just like that was magic.
1: I think my favorite song on the album is the first song. And I like color of your blues.
2: Yeah, that's. A, I like that song too. At the time I wrote that song, it was just right after Katrina in Louisiana, or in the South there, not just Louisiana, but mainly the city of New Orleans, and had a long-term relationship that was like kind of ending, and everything is good now. But at the time, you know, I was like in the in the middle of it all, so I kind of had the two and the sentiment kind of, like, blended in the song. So I decided that, well, when I was writing a song, it just naturally just happened. And I actually wrote it on the piano, and it sounds really beautiful on the piano, but I totally stripped it down for so that recording. It's like melodic guitar with a little tremolo sound, and the bass is really simple. And I just plucked out a, a beat just kind of with my finger on the SP-1200, the Emia sounds, which I think are Jim Kellner's sounds from way back in the day, those jump sounds. and it has like this has a little bit of this snarling vibe to it. yeah, and I like that song it is my it, it is one of my favorites on that
1: album. It is a good song when somebody listens to your albums or when they hear you in concert, what is it that you hope the listener gets out of the experience
2: I can't really say that to like what the recipient is gonna you know, how they feel or how they you know, I I'm not gonna dictate that, like what how someone could accept it or but I'm just putting it out there. A lot of my emotive force is there and I and it's present. I think people will just get it, it'll convey, it'll telegraph or it'll just emit somehow. And so I, I it's a little abstract. That's the beauty of art and The beauty of it is that, you know, there's this uncalculable thing that happens. I mean, I can even be watching television and you think there's like, I don't even know how television works, but I'm watching this thing on the screen and I'm totally getting it from, as a recipient myself, i was totally getting what the person is doing, even if it's taped many years ago, I'm getting their performance, so that's cool. I don't have any expectations of what people get out of it. Honesty is, my, is the key thing for me.
1: This can sometimes be hard for a musician to put into words, but what is it that you like about music?
2: Well, there's been some definitions of music in the past. I think George Bernard Shaw, must. Have, I think he said, music is the brandy of the damned. For a while there, I was going with that. What I liked about music was that I could be a fuller person. Because it's a way that I can correct myself. You know, I'd rather play a show, 15 minute, do a 15-minute performance than do a 15-minute interview <laughs> to get, you know, to get it out. But uh, I'm trying to be as graceful as I can. I don't always hold that. I just think that it's something, it, for better or for worse, I can tell you that when I was a teenager, it saved my life. It kept me going. In an evening I'd say if there was a choice of like driving down this dark street or going home and listening to a record, I would have chose going home and listening to a record or something like that. Yeah. Then it extended into my music into my instruments. I had a guitar and piano and I loved those things. I loved them.
1: Hmm. Well, I have two final questions before we go. Okay. I'm dead serious. What is your all-time favorite meal?
2: All-time favorite meal was my mom's chili on white rice. On rice? Yep.
1: Very interesting. Well, my final question. This broadcast is going out all over the world. What would you, Money Mark, like to say to all the people that are listening in?
2: Do the best you can and put out there the best person that you are and promote peace and prosperity and eat my mom's chili.
1: <laughs> well, Money Mark, thank you very much for sharing your music and your story with all of our listeners. It's been a pleasure very talking nice. to you. It's
2: been uh, very nice to talk with you. And I think uh, there's a crab dish, crab cake waiting for me backstage, so I'm to get to it.
1: All right. Well, have a good one. Okay, man. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.
0: We thank you and appreciate you dropping in for the Paul Leslie Hour today. You know, you can help the Paul Leslie Hour in our mission to provide independent media content like this by visiting www.thepaulleslie.com support. We truly thank you. This is your announcer speaking. Performance of The Entertainer intro song. And Corina Corina outro song, courtesy of John Premorano. Well, that's it for today. So until next time, be safe and be good.